We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Already, chance, go! This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Firstly, before I get started, I'd like to thank Paul for saving the podcast this week. Tried to record it on my PC. And I've done so in, in the way I usually do it. Goes into a certain folder, press record, away you go. When I press stop at the end of the conversation, there was no file to be seen. But luckily, Paul made a backup. He recorded it on his end. And um, yes, here we are today. Thank you, puzzling in my pants. Not my pants, as Elliot would say. Welcome back to a rather happy episode of the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. Uh, in today's episode, James, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the 5-0 hammering of Aston Villa at the Emirates. Um, a thoroughly enjoyable game, as the scoreline suggests. Yeah, we made a few changes to the side that beat Brighton. Ozil and Walcott kept their places on the flanks as... Oxley Chamberlain and Alexis are still out through injury. Um, Santi Cazorla came back into the team and Thomas Rudzicki dropped to the bench. Yeah, I mean, from start to finish, we were superior. Dominated the game. I thought, I thought in, in the first, like, 10 minutes or so, Aston Villa was shocking, like, really bad. Obviously, it must have been quite bad to get beaten that badly in the end, anyway. But at the beginning, if they played through the whole 90 minutes, as they did the first 10 minutes, they would have got spanked 10-0, I swear. Yeah, I, I don't know what they were trying to do, but whatever they're doing, it wasn't working at all. And um, we had a few good chances in the first few minutes to to score an opening goal. They seemed to wake up a bit after we scored the first goal. And what a delightful flick it was by Messer Ozil. Wonderful touch to put Giroud through. And also, you know, it was a great finish by Giroud as well. 
Yeah, so I won't go through all, all of the goals individually because you've seen the goals yourself and the guys are going to talk about it themselves anyway. So um, I'll spare you my, my view on everything. But yeah, I really enjoyed the whole the whole team, really. We're playing with confidence again. Um, you know, to have players of the quality of Santi Cazorla, Mesut Ozil in the same side, creating chances for other players, it's, it's, it's a joy. And... Can I also give a round of applause to Hector Bellerin, who I thought was sensational again. His finish was was amazing. Great finish. First time, side foot into the corner of the net. Yeah, he's, he's been superb since he's coming to the team. He's, he's really grown every game that goes by. As cliche as it sounds, he just seems to be growing as a player now. If he continues this way for the remainder of the season, you think to yourself, next season, he could become first choice. It's a bit early for that now. Have, he has to play well in, in hard games away from home, and we're under a lot of pressure. We're not under pressure much these days because we're we're um, dominating. Yeah, this is a point I wanted to bring up. Um, after we scored the first goal, um, Aston Villa seemed to have a lot of the ball, and we sat off them. I wasn't sure if that wasn't intentional to you know, allow them to come onto us and to hit them on the break, or if we just lost control of the game for a bit. It's a bit weird, really, because Villa just seemed to have a lot of the ball, and we just seemed to be camped in our own half a bit. That's a bit strange. But um, if, if we meant to do it, then it wasn't strange at all. It doesn't really matter either way because we spanked him and it was very good. Um, so, without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to the guys. Enjoy this positive podcast because um, positive times. Yeah, up the arsenal. Alexis Sanchez carries Arsenal once again as teammates fail to... No, that's the wrong script they have in my teleprompter. Guys, can you swap that out? Okay, thanks. That's perfect. Five-star gunners overcome hapless Aston Villa at home as Alexis Sanchez is given the day off. I assume he was put in restraints somewhere in the dressing room. And uh, Arsenal cruised to victory. It was as enjoyable performance as we've had all season and sets up perfect uh, preparation for the North London Derby. You are listening to the... Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can follow me at Yankee Gunner on Twitter. And I have retaken my position uh, from Paul uh, in hosting duties, despite the fact that he was in better form. Uh, I have retained my place. So call me the Jack Wilshire of podcasting. Um, we're going to kick on. We've got a lot to get to. In an effort to keep my job, I have actually written down questions to ask. So there will be no rambling mess, although... We're already, what, a minute and a half or so into it, and I have not even introduced my guest. So let's get to it, the regulars on the show. Uh, we would start with the man who would be king, Paul. Great job hosting last week. You can follow him at Poznan in my pants. Well, welcome back, Paul. Woohoo! And I, I must say, I really enjoy that intro. I'll have to stop enjoying the pod and actually participate in it. Good work, Elliot. Oh, thanks. Yeah, lovely. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I like being patronized right off the bat. Patronized? Patronized? <laughs> um, and... Joining us, uh, having attended the match in person in the stadium, uh, I always thought you were one of those plastic fans who actually goes instead of watching it on TV where you can hear the commentary, um, is James. You can follow him at GoonerFanatic49. None of that messing about with his Twitter handle today. We're going to get it right. GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. James, uh, thank you for joining us following your attendance today. Cheers. Good evening, Paul and Elliot. Pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure. We have a lot of uh, good things to talk about. I'm going to struggle to come up with Elliot's negativity corner today or criticism corner today. Um, I assure you I'll find something. But 
In the meantime, let's kick it off. Five goals for Arsenal. Alexis Sanchez did not play. Maybe a little concerned that he won't make the North London Derby next week, but we can uh, go all negative a little later on in the pod. Let's start today with Mesut Ozil. Uh, clear man of the match. Um, tremendous display. I think, I hate the expression answered some critics because his critics are mostly idiots, but certainly showing that he's starting to adapt to play on the left side. Uh, Paul, start with you. What did you think of Mesut Ozil's play overall today? Uh, and how do you think he's, do you see signs that he's starting to adapt to that left side position? Yeah, uh, I thought he was really good. Who, who wouldn't? Uh, obviously he had the flick for the first goal, which prized them wide open. Um, I mean, it, it's just really interesting watching how this evolves with him starting from the left. I didn't see quite as much rotation today as I as we have in the last couple of games with, you know, Giroud, Sanchez and the Ox, where any one of the three of them could be at center forward. It was a little bit more static. You know, there's a bit of swapping with Theo and Ozil, but Ozil really kind of uh, sat in on that kind of left side for much of the game. Of course, uh, I'll look at the highlights now and see he was all over the place, but it seemed like, hmm. you know, he settled into that position. He left Santi in the middle. They weren't doing that thing where I think in the early days they swapped a lot. We didn't see Santi out on the, on the left, so you'd have to say he settled into that role there and kind of is really doing some damage with it. So... Uh, you know, th- th- from an Ozil standpoint, I did did think he answered some critics today. Of course, we'll have to do it against tough tougher opposition, but mm-hmm. uh, it was just it was a fascinating encounter, and and Ozil was such a big piece of it. He really was, and I think James. One of the things we saw is the difference between him playing in that position and Sanchez is that Sanchez wants the ball at his feet, and then he wants to beat a man off the dribble, carry the ball inside you know, look for his own shot or, or, you know, look to get past two or three defenders. We saw right with that first goal, that sexy touch to set Giroud free. I, I, he set a few of his teammates uh, in behind the back four throughout the match. And, you know, he's more going to play the ball one touch. He releases the ball quickly. Maybe it could, could contrast for us a little bit the way we play with those on that position instead of Sanchez, not that Sanchez's role in the team is is uh, at risk at all, but just the kind of different dynamic it gives us and your overall thoughts of how Owls will play today. Absolutely. I think it's it's also something that's um, pretty exciting to look forward to in the future when you have perhaps Alexis on the right, um, Ozil on the left, and the, the two different um, challenges that they uh, create for opposition and and as you say, Ozil's ability to not only create that um, killer sort of one-touch pass in the final third, but his efficiency when carrying the ball in that area of the field, creating that little bit of space, and his precision, his his ability to always seemingly choose the right option and choose the right pass. I I look back to when leading one nil, his um, play. I think it was around the sort of thirty-ish ish minute. I could be wrong on that front, coming in from the right and, and spotting uh, Ramsey on the edge of the box when most players would have just whipped the ball into to Giroud and, and Santi and Walcott that were breaking into the box, um, which then led to Ramsey sort of forcing the save from the Villa keeper. Um, but I thought he was, I thought he was, not only was he excellent throughout the match, um, created several, he created the first chance excellently, he had that um, chance that was called offside. I, from where I was standing in the stadium you guys can tell me far better having watched the replays and all but it, it didn't it certainly didn't it certainly seemed like a close call at a tight 
decision at that, whether it was even offside, I'm sure was, was up for debate. I, I think he was level. Um, I mean, it, it was definitely close. The commentators for NBC in the States, Lee Dixon, um, no bias there. He felt that it was onside. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely close. I think it was marginally off. They looked at it at halftime, drew the little line, and he had kind of like a quarter of his shoulder maybe poking over. Yeah, so basically he was onside, totally a <laughs> terrible call. <laughs> but either way, we, we're talking fine margins here. And we, and we, it's a game that you know d- demonstrates just how dangerous he can be from this left. I don't think I've ever really bought this idea that um, the whole kind of craze of needing to move Ozil back to the centre and was one of the major reasons why we were going through such a tough period early on. Um, especially in a team now that's really hitting such a rich vein of form. Uh, we've seen him play there plenty of times for Germany, especially throughout the World Cup. He's been um, absolutely excellent. So I think that's certainly promising because it demonstrates that um, the possibility of having both Gazola and Ozil in the side um, is going to be far from being an issue, but in fact a, a major bonus for this team. And and just a final point was that finish for the second goal was absolutely excellent. I think it was really the only place he, he could have put it to, uh, given sort of the angle of the shot. And he's not he, one of the major criticisms that have possibly probably been levied towards Mesut has been um, his decisiveness when when going through on goal. And that was that was an excellent finish. And also in both in both the two goals that he he played a major part in were both extremely crucial points in the match. So that at 1-0, that, that second goal really changed the game. I absolutely think you've hit on something super important there, which is that his assist was for the opening goal and his, his goal was the second one that really made the game safer. Um, and, and I think if there's one thing he's maybe been accused of is being a flat track bully, not that Villa were, were good today or, or contributing at times when a match was already decided, his contributions today were incredibly decisive in terms of making getting us the lead and making the game safe, which was great to see. Paul, anything to add on Ozil, the the dynamic of Ozil's play versus Sanchez? Yeah, I mean, what struck me today in particular, I mean, I'm amazed, we'll talk about this more, but I am amazed we're playing a 4-1-4-1 or whatever you want to call it against Villa, who can't score against anybody at the Emirates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to play like that, Ozil takes care of the ball really well on the counter I mean just if you think back to Sanchez and maybe it was just more intense competition but how many times did he spill the ball on the counter or whatever and Ozil was so clean today uh, nor should his speed on the break be underestimated I don't know if anybody saw that thing of Theo talking about the 40 meter sprint in the competition with the team and then he was going on about how he was talking about Gnabry but how Gnabry was doing the sprint over and over again because he wanted to beat Ozil. Now, mm-hmm. Gnabry was a sprinter as a kid, I think around the 12, 13 years old. So he's he's got some pace. Okay, that was a while ago. But it means he's got pace in those legs. And it means, it means Ozil's nothing to be trifled, for, trifled with in terms of pace. I think we all know that, but we certainly saw it on, that, on his goal in the counterattack. Well, the one thing we know is that the manager feels that Sanchez could move the ball quicker. He's made comments like that in the past. And Ozil's approach to the to the counterattack is as soon as the ball comes to him, release it for a player running in behind the back four in space. Sanchez's first instinct is to make a move, beat the man that's marking him and try to carry the ball up the pitch. Yeah. Um, both can be effective. I mean, Sanchez has been very effective that way. But I think the Arsenal way 
to be cliche about it, is is the way Ozil does it. By the way, I've been meaning to ask both of you, does one of you have a set of poker chips or a gold chain that you play with while we're recording this podcast? The viewers want to know. Listeners, there are no viewers. They can't see it. They're just listening. There's a rustling sound, a clinking sound. Come on, own up to it. Which one of you is it? Neither? No one's going to admit it? All right, we'll move on. I got a gold chain because I'm confused about what Ozil's celebration was about. It seemed a bit hip hoppy, so yes, I, I am. No, wearing... it was. I think it was the, what a third child or the birth of a baby or something. Yeah, birth of his baby girl, Mira. Uh, Mira. Yeah. So it was oh, that it was an M. Okay, yeah, it was an, an M. M. He was making with his fingers and then sucking, sucking his, thumb, his thumb and making an M. And and it, he looked a little like a gecko while he was doing it. It, it seemed to um, be some kind of creature crawling along the ocean floor. That'd be my that's guess. What it was. Yeah. Well, maybe he's given birth to a crustacean. Um, <laughs> I take that back. I'm sure it's a lovely humanoid child. Um, but let's move on because, you know, we can discuss uh, obstetrics later. But in the meantime, you know, I, I, I think that as well as Ozil played, this, this was a true team performance. And one of the things we've sort of started to do on this podcast as a regular feature is have a non-man of the match, man of the match um, in games where there's been a clear cut man of the match. And I think Ozil was close to being clear cut today. We like to kind of pick another player to single out for praise um, or criticism where it's deserved, but Giroud really doesn't deserve much today, so we'll move on from that. Um, who, James, was your non-Ozil man of the match? Um, and I, I don't use this as your opportunity to praise seven different players. Just give me one. Elliot, cover your ears. <laughs> oh, you're not going to say Olivier. Cover your ears, Elliot. Uh, no. I, I am indeed going to say Olivier. What? Absolutely. I'm going to... And I'll tell you, well, just, I will just, tell you just between why. us, just really quickly. I want you to know I had the tweet half written about him blowing the chance for that opening goal when the ball got caught under his foot. So he's lucky he finished that. I had my skating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, lucky, lucky indeed. Although <laughs> a, a, a delicate finish at that. It was you know, one, one of the most remarkable things, it. and one of the things that I don't really tend to appreciate when I'm watching um, on the TV and not being sort of on the sidelines, is his. I, we, we do talk about it a lot, but when you see it in the flesh, his ability to to win the ball in those aerial duels is phenomenal. He comes out wide, he pulls off onto the fullback, and he's often surrounded by two or three Villa players who are pushing and, and shoving him. And every time I, I was constantly remarking with the fan that I go to the game with was, was just how excellent he was at regurgitating possession from, from both, well, from mostly our, our own goal kicks, but also from the defensive side of things. And I, I think it's one of the one of his aspects of the game that has always been a forte of his, but he's he's improved on significantly um, over these past couple of seasons. And and even aside from that, because when you look at that, that team out there today, when you look at say players such as Santi Cazorla and uh, Özil, etc., these aren't players that you can really target. That especially with Sanya now gone, I guess Monreal is somewhat of an option. Giroud really is our only get-out option. He's he really is superb at it, and he he, he gives the team a breather. He, he allows us to maintain possession. I think that's absolutely pivotal to the way that we play. But even aside from that, which isn't something that necessarily has a very direct uh, output on 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 the very productive aspects of a game, aka goals and assists, he was he was supremely influential um, in in the earlier parts of the goals. He he set up Özil excellently. Uh, mm-hmm. Was a great. Was it a one-touch pass, or was it, it was a ball from Theo to to Giroud and then uh, unleashed Özil? The finish, although he did get slightly caught up with his feet, the finish was excellently, um, especially to have the composure, having somewhat sort of um, had the ball trapped in, bet- in between um, his his two feet. I thought I thought was excellent. 
And his all-round play in and around the final third was he's he's got a, he's got a great touch. And the funny thing about his goal actually was it's it's a goal that we very rarely or we often tend to joke about in the sense that it's one that we rarely imagine Giroud scoring. You know, Villa played a somewhat high line. He uh, on the counter managed to surge past uh, the uh, the trailing Villa defenders before chipping the goalie. Um, and I thought, well, also, also put him into like another postal code, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's another point entirely. Um, I, I will, I will say this: there is no denying that Giroud has tremendous ability, tremendous vision for his teammates, and ability to set up his teammates, and that sometimes is best quality and worst quality because there was a moment early in the first half where the ball was played into him about five yards out of goal, relatively close to being unmarked. And he looked for a little layoff. And that's my, you know, my two criticisms of him are his pace, um, which there is none. But, you know, he, he does other things, of course. But my other one would be a lack of, uh, of that, that lack of a selfish streak at, at times, of a, of a predatory instinct at times, an unwillingness to turn his man face goal and shoot. I, I'd love to see more of that from him. But no knocking. T- today, the ball was moving. He kept it moving. His vision was exceptional. I'm, I'm willing to concede that he was decent. Um, you know, to be fair, who scored rating for the match? Cazorla was a 9.8, Oza was a 9.48, Giroud was a 9.37. So it, they had those three sort of neck and neck for best performance. Um, Paul, you want to add on on Giroud or um, pick another non-Ozil man of the match or both? Well, my non-Ozil would be Cazorla, but that's kind of a cheat going back to previous weeks when we would rule out San- Sanchez and Cazorla because yeah, they're just too the bloody Sanchez good. Sanchez figure now. Yeah, exactly. yeah he's so- just too good. But, but, I mean, it is Cazorla. I think after Ozil and Cazorla, uh, I thought Giroud was really good, but I'm not sure he's in man of the match territory. Um, my thoughts on Giroud is when we're playing this 4-1-4-1, um, I, I got to think that uh, although Giroud doesn't have a lot of pace, his linking up play, his, his uh, knocking the ball to one side, we mentioned Ozil's... Um, goal on the counter-attack, which was very much down to Giroud. His touch, his passing, his layoffs, when he peels out to the right or left, he's still really good. And he, his, um, he doesn't have a, a good acceleration, a good burst, but his top gear is pretty okay. He's all right on the counter. He'll, he'll get up there into the box in time to do something. So there's a lot I like about Giroud 2.0. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh I, James, I know we can't move on until you get to say one more positive thing about Giroud just to drive the nail into my coffin a little bit more. So fire fire away. I'm enjoying this. This, this is my favorite part of the podcast right now. Well, f- <laughs> Further to that point is his movement's actually excellent. Um, although he lacks pace, he, he makes a lot of intelligent runs. We often see his moves to, say, the front post, for example, um, and his ability to peel off the centre-backs I talked about on goal kicks and, and put himself in positions in which... He gives himself the best opportunity to win the ball is is fantastic. And, you know, Cazorla had an excellent game. He had, a, he had a great game throughout, and he did end up racking up two assists and, and a goal, be it from a penalty. But the thing was, and the reason why I was quicker to praise Giroud is ultimately, much like Ozil, he, was, he contributed to the two most important goals in the game that effectively finished off Villa. From that point on, it was... It, it became a bit of an exhibition match. But of the two goals, the first and the second, Giroud was a major influence in both. And I think that has to be given um, further credit because that, 
that just changes the entire landscape of the fixture itself. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's fair. Let's uh, let's talk about the game specifically, which is not something we traditionally do on the post-match podcast. Um, but we're going to start adding that in, I think, as a feature, regular feature, discussing the match. Um, uh, the goals were great. Five of them to pick for. We've picked our player of the match. Let's pick our goal of the match. Uh, Paul, of the five, you have a favorite? Uh, uh, it's between Walcott and Ozil's. I'll go with Walcott. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly because it's the finish. No, it's because it's the, Super Bowl the... Sunday. Um, was yeah. there was there a more Super Bowl goal played out of those five? The 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 quarterback Ospina throws it out to the wide receiver. Uh, Theo's pass in field was very was actually pretty good for him. You know that's kind of where he can break down a little bit. His run, I mean, he's out wide. He has somebody inside him. It might be Giroud. I don't know. But uh, he takes off on a diagonal, you know, great diversion run uh, to pull the play with him. But he actually ends up getting the ball. Beautiful first touch, curving, arcing, finish around the the keeper. I mean, he's really good at that finishing stuff. Uh, I thought it was a beautiful goal. We carved them wide open, pace, counterattacking. To me, uh, I've been thinking about this theme a little bit. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm really confused what we're doing this year. We've gone from Barca light to Real light in terms of our approach. You know, the chances mm-hmm. we get now are the ones that used to screw us over against the Swansea's and against the whoever it be, the Southamptons, where we'd have all the possession and then they'd hit us with two goals in the late in the second half. And we, we're getting the quality opportunities. We're at home at the Emirates, as we were talking about before. And uh, we, we've just flipped. We've gone Real light. And it's really fun to watch. But anyway, I thought Walcott was by a narrow margin the pick of the crop. How about you, James? Favorite goal? Well, Paul, first, I don't know what any of this quarterback and wide receiver nonsense that you're talking about is. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not going to be a pop, that's not going to be a popular part of this podcast. Screw them, <laughs> screw them all. No, it was it was definitely the Ozil goal for me. I mean, a because of, again the timing timing of the goal. The exquisite finish that it was, and 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 to see Ozil scoring a goal of that ilk just uh, made me that much warmer inside. Um, so it was it was definitely, I mean, in the crowd that 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 was the big goal that was scored. That was where you really felt the the sort of exhilaration and and you know ecstasy. Uh, not not that not not that you didn't necessarily feel that in in any of the other goals, but I think even by the by the time Walcott had scored, it was that much more comfortable. And I think there was. There was something nice about seeing Bellerin score that that side footed goal from distance, um, and not only to see Bellerin score, but was probably, I guess, one of the well, possibly one of the best finishes. Well, it was one of the best finishes of of the five score today. Yeah, I I, I love the Cazorla penalty. <laughs> <laughs> Just smash right at Goose and he can't handle it. Um, now I I think the thing we liked about the goals today. Um, you know, if if you're a fan of sort of the Arsenal way, so to speak, is that for almost all of them, the movement, the the passing, the the touch in and around the the final third, uh, just sensational. Um, I think my favorite has to be the Giroud goal, although it tastes like vinegar in my mouth to say it. Um, but not because of anything he did, but just because of the sex that was that Ozil flick to to put him in so far in that he couldn't be caught, which, you know, he needs like 15 yards head start. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah. The great, great chance. 
Yeah, look, you know, I got to stay true to my brand. I mean, you know, give, give the people what they want. Um, let's talk about the shape overall. So the thing that I thought was brilliant about today is just you never it never really looked like we were going to have, you know, play the better football, but get caught out. The shape was excellent. The the four one four one was working. Cochran was filling in the the vacated areas behind the fullbacks when they chose to go forward. Um there was just a solidity there. Villa very rarely found space to, to get in and just, you know, run and create havoc in our final third. Um, I believe we only had 48% possession at home against an Aston Villa team we dominated. And, you know, the one thing I remember about, you know, the Invincibles in that era was that it wasn't a possession-based team. It was a counterattacking approach. And you mentioned Paul, Real Madrid, and that's that's a little more how they like to do it as well. This was... This was a very composed professional display, admittedly against a poor Villa side, but not just in the attacking half, but also defensively. Um, James, what do you think about this 4-1-4-1 formation, our shape overall, and playing a little bit more without the ball? Is this is this sort of the way forward for us? And and I know Villa weren't great, but do you think that this is this is why Arsene Wenger tried to make this change at the start of the season, and now we're starting to see it sort of work, especially now that we have a player in Coughlin who can fill that one-player role between the midfield and defensive lines. I think so. We talked a lot about at the beginning of the season that the formation was created really to just bring in Wilshire and Ramsey into the same side, um, although Wenger tends to think far bigger picture than, than just that. And I think we're really starting to see it bear fruition now. It's the type of forma- formation, especially when you look back to the City game, that you see as being far more penetrative and far more effective against the bigger teams. But I think today was a fantastic example of just how um, how effective it can be against the smaller sides too, to not only come out extremely comfortable winners but to concede so few shots on goal, there was only the headed opportunity right towards the end of the first half by Benteke, which was matched by a pretty good save from Ospina, where we really felt any danger whatsoever. And I suppose right at the end, there was that, that snapshot or the, or the shot that Ospina parried, parried away for a corner. Um, aside from that, I really don't remember being in, feeling under any pressure or any danger whatsoever, despite the lack of possession we had. And we really do have the pace and the type of players that, are so dangerous on the counter and so efficient with the ball. Of that 48% of possession, we just, you know, we tend to make a lot of the right decisions. It's, um, it's very much suited to the type of players we have at our disposal. I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing this formation being used for not only the rest of this season, but going forward for, with, with this current crop of players. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the thing is, when we have the ball now, we're using it more intelligently, more incisively, trying to create chances from deeper as opposed to passing it around the edge of the area for 45 minutes. Paul, how important do you think getting the first goal is to the success of this approach um, in terms of it sort of forcing the opposition to you know, try to, to come come on to us a little bit and allowing us to sit and not not sit and just defend, but stay in that more defensive formation or do you think just in general that this formation this style of play allows us to make more intelligent use of the ball when we have it 
I think you covered the bases there. Uh, uh, certainly, if you look at the last few games, we got the first goal. It's settled everything down and it's played into that formation. But in a way, that way of playing uh, is kind of a virtuous circle, isn't it? We're playing with more confidence, more, more assuredness, more trust. So we're less dodgy at the back. The formation leads to more solidity at the back. We're the guys more likely to get the first goal because of that. We're solid at the back. We're feeling good. Our, our chances tend to be the better kinds of chances because they're kind of the play's more open. It's on on the counter. I mean, for Villa to come and play a high line and a high block at the Emirates, and for us to be holding back, you know, it's no wonder that first chance, uh, Giroud actually managed to catch them wide open and put a sprint on. And in his defence, I'll say. Those chances are never very easy when you're one-on-one with the goalie, unless that's the kind of thing you do on a regular basis. He, as you're kind of pointing out, he never gets himself in those situations. So I think his dodgy touch did him a favor and uh, put him in, made him make a decision, gave him a bit of an angle on the keepers, and it all wor- worked out uh, very favorably. But, you know, looking at the formation and that approach... Um, I'd like to go back to the Man of the Match award ruling out the first two. I mean, Coquelin has been great, and maybe he wasn't the third best player on the pitch, but that position has had the biggest upgrade of any position on the pitch this year. Um, Well, I'll say this about Coquelin. I mean, the five tackles, five interceptions, you know, a clearance, a blocked shot, all those things he's doing are important. But to your point about Coquelin, what he's doing now that he wasn't doing when he first came into the side, 92.6% pass yeah, accuracy or yeah. pass, pass completion percentage. Yeah, and, and we that... talked before in games about, uh, I, I think I said something about it, uh, where it's like almost every second pass was a little dodgy with him in the past. He wasn't mm-hmm. assured on the ball, and that's completely changed now. And he's keeping it so simple. You know, he'll roll the ball to the guy beside him now. Yeah, and I mean, it's not because he's not involved in the play either. His 71 touches were tied with Mesut Ozil for second behind only Cazorla's 104 touches. So, I mean, he's he the ball is moving through him. He's using it efficiently. He's completing his passes. And I think you're right. That that position is so important to the, the success of this formation. And we didn't see this formation being as successful early in the season. Mm. But I, I think some of that is due to the, t- the squad gelling. One of the other things, though, that I think is, is so evident to me right now, and, and, you know, one of the things I like to do is complain. Most people probably don't notice, notice that about me. Um, but it is an aspect of my character that, that I think sort of is there under the surface if people scratch the surface and look for it. And one of the things I used to like to complain about is that I thought Arsenal was a very comfortable place to play football and that there weren't consequences for poor performances. And as a result, players weren't pushed. They weren't pushed to achieve their best. Um, You'd add players like Wilshire who were just gifted place in the starting lineup. And, you know, whether it was Cazorla or Giroud or Ramsey or whoever it was, they felt that the role was theirs almost by right, by birthright, by default. I want to talk about competition. We came out hungry and aggressive today. There was an, a, a determination to win the game early, an energy about the team that sometimes we haven't seen in, in recent seasons. James, how important is competition right now? I mean, if we just go through the squad, Giroud's position is under threat from Danny Welbeck. Theo's position is under threat from Oxlade-Chamberlain. Uh, Cazorla's position is technically, theoretically under threat from 
you know, uh, uh, Ozil or Riziki or Wilshire, as is Ramsey's Coughlin has Flamini and potentially eventually Arteta there. And also just the threat of being shipped down to like the third tier of, you know, Bosnian football or something. Um, Ospina and, and, and Chesney and now Gabrielle for Murtisacker and, and Kashelny Bellerin with Chambers. Gibbs and Monreal is a fascinating, um, you know, competition, genuine competition though, not illusory or, or, you know, sort of, uh, false competition where you have, you know, a young player who, you know, a Tyro who potentially is challenging, but real experienced quality players challenging for places. This is my ramble question of the pot, by the way, um, where I, where I just talk and actually don't ask either of the guests anything about, about let's go to competition for the bench. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but, but that's the case, you know, we shipped out Podolsky, we shipped out, Campbell, we, we shipped out Sonogo, but there's still real competition. How much do you think we're seeing now, James, the benefit of competition improving the performances of players who may have in the past felt just a little too comfortable in their in their role and their guaranteed place? A lot. I mean, competition is, proved, is absolutely vital for the success of a team for not only the reasons that you've mentioned and you managed to mention every single position in, in which there is competition, and it's, it's great to see that there is no longer a single position in this squad where you can't really name two strong players that are both batting it out to be on that starting lineup. Um, and I think it's a major reason, really, why we're all, seemingly at least, relaxed about deadline day. I've no, I don't remember a single transfer mm-hmm. deadline day where I haven't been you know, shitting myself desperately, praying and hoping that Wenger manages to somehow pull a player out of out of the hat that we so desperately need, and that's really been the biggest plus of of seeing the rise of of Coquelin over such a short period of time. Is now there isn't that desperate need for a defensive midfielder, and it looks like a very settled squad. And what it means is you're seeing the performances of e- of individual players in that first eleven rise. The, the the level of performance from the team is, has increased significantly. And also with that comes the comfort of knowing that even if you do suffer a, a certain injury crisis such or any injuries you do face, you feel a lot more comfortable with the players that are coming in. And, you know, we, you, you joke that you can talk about the competition for the bench, but he, even still, you, with the players you had out, it, it was still a pretty strong bench. You have the super, super Tom being able to come on. Um, even, for example, say a Tuba Akpom, is a, seems like a, a talented young player, and it's now we've often talked about in the past how you know we really shouldn't be um, relying on young players, um, young talented players to to come in and, and do a job for us. But when you have a team that we we have now, you actually have the ability to kind of in games such as today when when you're you're quite comfortable to be able to now try and give these players an opportunity now and now and then rather than have to actually rely on them and when, when the pressure is is so insurmountable for. Um, players of players in that in that stage of their career, and it's it, it's excellent to see. But I guess uh, the flip side of that is it makes it that much more difficult for a player of um, in Tuberac Bomb's position, for example, to even get in the side, which is you know where the issue lies in perhaps renewing his contract. But it's it's fantastic, and I think this is probably now the best Arsenal squad we've seen since um, I'd say you know around two thousand five, two thousand six. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say also you, there's a difference between having backup options and having genuine competition for places, right? I mean, it's all well and good saying, oh, here are the 11 players who didn't start today. But if those 11 players were never in contention to start, that's not real competition. Alexis, Murtisacker, and Koscielny aside, 
I don't think any player can say that their their place in the team is guaranteed right now. Absolutely, um, and and the word sort of deadwood is is one that we used to throw around so consistently. You quote unquote can't really. There's there's no one that you look to in this squad now that you can really refer to as deadwood. There's one. I that, mean, Giroud aside, I'd agree. With well, and the <laughs> and the the thing is, when have you, we ever been able to pick our first eleven? We so regularly say, you know. It doesn't. Wenger doesn't necessarily even have to have in his mind who his first eleven is because a often a team can pick itself through injuries. But when there's so much competition, uh, as in when there's you know when you've got the FA Cup to play the Champions League, when there's so many games coming thick and fast, you need various players to be able to step up at, at different points in the season. Um, and it's it's excellent to see, and that that in itself just breeds confidence, certainly as a fan, and I imagine for the players too in the dressing room. Yeah, I I do have to give you a demerit though, because I believe you were instructed prior to the podcast by Linus to say Wenger instead of Wenger. Did I say so, Wenger? I'm you sorry. did say Wenger. Well, I'm sorry. Um, it sounds like I'm a Wenger out then. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that that. By Wenger the way, out. if you follow Gunnar Fanatic forty nine on Twitter, the one thing you will know, uh, can't stand Ramsey, hates Arsene Wenger. Two things that that sort of typify his. His uh, Twitter persona. Um, I'm kidding, of course. Of course, um, Paul. You know, it, it's it's this competition for places that I think is is bringing out the best in some players who we might not have expected. I mean, you look, and I think you would have said at the beginning of the season, Kieran Gibbs is clearly the starting left back. That is not the case anymore. Um, there was a time when we would have said uh, Callum Chambers was. Clearly, the starting right back in the absence of Debushi, that is clearly not the case anymore. What are some of the more interesting competitions that you see around the pitch? And and if you want to add to sort of what what you think the impact of competition has been on the, on the performances overall? Well, um, you know, I, I, it's one of those really difficult balancing acts that only the best managers can handle. I mean, you. you I remember reading various bits and pieces of players who played for Ferguson, who was a famous rotator of of teams. And, you know, there was just this constant stream of players because Ferguson's door was apparently open to these guys coming in, asking why they're not getting picked for the next game. And he'd find a way to tell them why. And, you know, they'd say things like that he had me lined up for a game that was coming up in two weeks time. And I'm like, two weeks time? You you know mm-hmm. you're you're getting fobbed off, mate. But it <laughs> you know you can find a rationale for players being patient, knowing it's competition, but also knowing they'll get a look in if you're flexible and creative. Now Wenger's not as rotatey, for sure, and maybe not as tactically. There's two words you guys can feel free to to use at your leisure. Um, yeah, we'll do. Yeah. So, uh, but you hit on the battle that that my mind went to first, which is Monreal. I mean, I've always liked Monreal, but I've always thought Gibbs was superior. Um, And since he's played at centre-back, he's kind of got that thing I thought he's been missing. I thought he was too often in a game, once or twice he'd be a pushover for somebody. And now Monreal 2.0, you know, he's just, he's a different animal, more secure, more confident, that's been really good for him. I think the fact that it's the old, if I can handle that, I can handle this. Uh, he's very good mm-hmm. going forward. I mean, you know, we debate who was better going forward and back. I thought they were both very good going forward and back. I just thought Monreal had a getting skinned in him every game. So, uh, I mean, he's really stepped up his game. And you look at Bellerin, 
you mentioned too. Those were the two I went to. You know, Bellerin. There was he's kind of on Bellerin 1.0 because we had Bellerin Beta before that. And he, you know, he was kind of hit and miss, promising but not ready for prime time. And now, you know, mm-hmm. you look at you look at that team sheet at the start of the game, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, Bellerin's in there. Oh Monreal, it could have been Gibbs, but yeah, I like my, you know, you go across the positions, and you're excited about every player in every position, almost. So, uh, well, I'm excited yeah. about every player in every position. So competition is yeah. great. Players love competition everywhere over the field, but in their position, which means competition's great everywhere. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the the manager said after the match, his job is the job of selection. And ultimately, if he, you know, gets it wrong, you know, people are going to point a finger at him. But I think he made an interesting point in the post-match comments. He said, when you have the kind of quality we have, any selection can look like a good one. And I see the point he's mm-hmm. making. If you don't pick Monreal, but you do pick Kieran Gibbs, it's unlikely that that's going to make you look bad. You know, if you don't pick... Um, Ramsey, but you pick Rosicki, it's unlikely that's going to make you look bad, right? Yeah. I mean, if you don't pick Oxley Chamberlain, but you pick Theo Walcott, you you get the idea. Yeah. Um, and that's the difference, this, the, the difference in quality. I also think one thing, not to get too general about the, the squad, but the average age, you know, is probably closer to 26, 27, 28 right now than it is 20, 21, 22. I mean, Bellerin aside, who wouldn't be playing if it weren't for a Debussy injury, and he's a very experienced player, um, you know, we're we're playing defenders who are approaching 30, which is prime prime age for defenders. And we're playing midfielders and attackers who are late 20s, you know, and that that's sort of the prime age there. So there's a lot of experience in the side, too, which I think leads to more consistency. Um, one player who maybe today I think continues to catch the eye as potentially not necessarily being deserving of winning his personal battle for his place. And I don't want to phrase it too negatively, but um, Clive PAFC on Twitter at Clive mm. PAFC asks Ramsey, was he efficient enough on the ball moves break down on him a lot? James, we'll start with you. Cause you are a big Ramsey fan. And, and I, and I don't want to cut uh, couch this in, in too much of a negative way, but you know, Ramsey is definitely, one of those players the manager seems to trust regardless of form but there are players like Rosicki who can play that role who seem to be in better form at the moment do you think he maybe just is having trouble with decision making right now confidence what's what do you think is going on with Ramsey because he definitely is holding on to the ball a little longer than you'd like to see in that position and and maybe struggling a little bit to to find some of the the final balls this season that he did last season. Do you think he's someone whose position could maybe be under threat? I think of the play of, of the starting 11 today, Ramsey probably had the worst performance of, um, of the team or in the team. Um, Just to let you know, I mean, not that who scored ratings are, are the Bible by any means, but they're a useful indicator of the starting 11. He clocked in at the lowest, which was, uh, a seven point five nine, still not a bad score, but he he was the lowest of the first eleven in their rating system. Yeah, I mean, I remember early on, right at right at the beginning of the game, I th- he set free. Was it Theo? Was it Özil? Um, I think he put Theo in, and Theo got caught from behind by Akore. Yeah, I think it was. He, yeah, it was. It was a little too. A little too slow to make that um, decision of actually trying to put the ball in the back of the net, but it was, you know, it was it was a good ball from Ramsey. But that was the only 
real positive that I can really remember from Ramsey's game from today. Um, I'm not sure, maybe, you know, maybe it is confidence, maybe it's tied into the fact that he's still somewhat <laughs> coming back from an injury. But it, the problem with that is one of the big positives I found from last season was after, you know, he had that kind of perhaps purple patch or when he'd really hit a rich vein of form and then he was injured out for a month. As soon as he came back, he was he was right back to a level that was very close to um, his best performances from just before incurring, incurring that injury. And even now we're seeing that it seems to take him that little bit longer to get back in. But, you know, perhaps that's partly down to the fact that in this system, in this four-one-four-one, he's the box-to-box player who's able to sit that little bit deeper alongside Coquelin, who who does a little bit more of the dirty work, who's, who's able to sort of close out those positions defensively. Um, and, I, I, you know, I really am trying to draw certain positives from, from him. But I do think that he, given the style of player that he is, he's actually one of the players that's more difficult for, for Wenger to drop because a Rosicki is more, like, more inclined to occupy spaces in the final third of the pitch. Um, you want to you want to see Santi Cazorla operating in that area of the pitch as well more more regularly than deeper. Although he has shown that he he's more than happy to show that tenacious side to his play. So I'm not really sure, except for maybe a, maybe a Jack. I'm not sure if there are many other players in the squad that really fill that that exact role. And I do think just given the the quality that we've seen from Ramsey, given you know his stamina, his his work ethic, his all-round play as a whole when he when he when he hits form, he's a player that I think you really want to stick with because he really does suit this this formation and this system extremely well. Whereas you do you have a lot of uh, you know a- attacking players you know the uh, the Urzels, the Rosickis and and the and the Santis um, to play that ACM role. I I just don't think uh, um, I I don't think there's as much competition for Ramsey's place as such. No, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing is, let's let's be honest, there is inherently a huge benefit to trying to play Ramsey into form. If you believe the form he showed at the beginning of last year is what he can achieve regularly. And I think the manager has to weigh that because if that's the player you think he is and it's just in there trying to get out, then there's a huge benefit to trying to play him into that kind of form. Uh, real quick over to you, Paul, because I still have on my prof- very professional pod hosting running order uh, three <laughs> more topics to cover. Um, so thoughts on Ramsey? I mean, if if you're the manager, are you how, how do you feel about the way he's playing right now? I think pretty good. I mean, he hasn't played much. He's just coming back. I remember when he was talking about Jack, he said it would take Jack seven or eight games and he wasn't far wrong by that eighth game we were all kind of raving about Jack's performance and then we went into a bit of a funk as did Jack and he kind of kicked up again but I think it takes seven or eight games and Ramsey's just coming back to full strength I thought he was I mean definitely I I think there's a point there that on today's performance he was a little untidy but he's also a risk taker all the time those flicks we hate are also the flicks that work so uh, he's finding his way. I think he makes a really nice pairing with Coquelin. Their their mm-hmm. industry and energy, you know, more, uh, it'll be interesting to see when Jack gets back. You know, Cazorla does great beside Coquelin too. Maybe everybody does great beside Coquelin, and that's because of the upgrade there. But I, I think they make a nice pairing. I don't think there's anything to panic about. Uh, just give him a couple more games and he'll be, he'll be right up to maybe not uh, super Aaron, but 
pretty damn good, Aaron. So I'm okay. That with works him. for me. Yeah. Um, all right. Look, let, let's talk about a player who has taken a position and made it his own, um, at, at least for the time being, uh, David Ospina. I think one of the questions or concerns people have had up to this point is that he's kept these clean sheets and he's kept the starting position, at least in the league, without really having to do much to earn it. Um, today, we kept a clean sheet and Villa weren't very good, but Ospina had more to do today. Um um, and I thought what he did have to do, he did well, uh, if that's not overly redundant. Um, Paul, talk to me just quickly about uh, Ospina continuing on as as the number one. If you think you saw more from him today that indicates that he should continue to be the number one, um, and whether you think the manager will continue with him going forward. Yeah, I still don't think we've seen enough yet. Certainly not until this game. Um, this game... You know, I can remember two good saves, the one at the end, uh, and back to James's point earlier where we were scrambling for opportunities. I remember Benteke putting it past the ball coming in from Bellerin's side too easily and Benteke putting it past the post, and Ospina was kind of standing up. He wouldn't have got to that one if it had been on target, and not his fault. Um, well, there and, was the really nice little save uh, from the header early yeah, in the first half yeah, that so could have equalized. Yeah, so he yeah. saved basically... Uh, he had two proper good saves there today and he claimed some balls mm-hmm. and look, you know, that was maybe the piece I liked the most. He looked more commanding in the box coming for crosses, very clean on those where in previous games he'd drop it and you'd be like, not drop it, fumble it, but kind of half fumble it, half control it off dropping it. So um, he hasn't done enough to be dropped, hasn't done enough to prove that the number one is his time will tell uh we need to see more but obviously he's he's doing okay so far Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i mean uh hard to change when the keeper Mm. hasn't allowed a goal and hasn't put a foot wrong particularly there was the one you know we talked about where uh he he touched it around the post when it was going wide and gave them a needless corner Mm. but otherwise i thought he didn't put a foot wrong what what about you james happy with ospina and think he continues to be the number one did you see do you feel today he got a little more work in than he had in previous games and, and maybe indicated that he, he's the right choice for now? I do think so. It was a very solid performance. I think often the best barometer of a keeper is not having much to say about them. You often just want a steady, consistent goalie that's not going to cause you any hair-rising moments. Um, I think he was actually very very good at claiming balls from crosses. He was... Uh, supremely commanding in his box. His kicking was very consistent, very steady to Olivier Giroud. Um, you knew where I was going every time. I thought, um, you know, I, I think solid all-round steady performance is exactly what you want from a keeper and pretty much typified his performance on the day. The the save just at the end of the first half was actually what I thought a very crucial save. It was um, Benteke was only a few yards away from Ospina and he got down quickly and um, that in itself... Although probably a save that you would you would hope him and expect perhaps expect him to make was a, a very decisive save, and the one right at the end of the game was a little more um, not showboaty as such, but a, another one for the. Highlight. It was a highlight reel. It was save, definitely yeah. a highlight reel <laughs> save, and yeah, I mean, you, you you've got to keep a spinner in this in this current on this current form. There's no there's no re, there's no reason for dropping him. I think it's easy to only look at what the keeper does defensively in terms of claiming crosses and and saving shots, but distribution is so important 
the defenders need to feel confident going back to their keeper and they need to feel confident that he's not going to put them under pressure. And one thing we see from Chesney in his eagerness to get the ball out after he claims it, a lot of times he he throws it into a position of danger. One thing that impressed me about Ospina today is he wasn't afraid to just hold on to the ball and and not try to rush a, a pass, you know, or throw out to a player who is under pressure. Um, and as a result, the ball wasn't coming right back at him as frequently as sometimes it does with Chesney. Um, Paul, final thought on Ospina? Yeah, I think you make a great point. And back to the quarterbacking, I mean, his distribution, that throw to Theo set up that goal. So, you know, extra yeah. credit there. No, that, that's a great point. Yeah, the pre-assist assist. By the way, you can also join um, You can join Paul on his American football podcast on Tuesdays. Um, so, oh, yeah. all right, wrapping up real quick, one last thing on this game. Um, you know, some of the players that we would not have expected to contribute this season – have been huge for us. We've talked a little bit about Coughlin. Um, Hector Bellerin, I think, deserves just massive, massive credit for the work he's doing. He got a goal today. But I want to just quickly ask thoughts on Chuba Akpom. This was a little more than just a brief cameo. It's the most we've gotten to see him. He obviously won a penalty. He had chances to score. I thought he was a little bit unlucky that he didn't. Um, James, just really quickly, he's going to be out of contract at the end of this season. I think we're going to be challenged to, to hold on to him, frankly, because he's a player that's really knocking on the door. What did you think about Chuba's cameo? And, and you know, is is this a player that you think has has a future at Arsenal? Uh, it's a tough question because, unfortunately, given the competitiveness of the squad, there just really hasn't been that many opportunities to see much of Chuba at a, in a competitive game. He, you know, he seems like a very talented player. He's got great feet. He's very quick. Um... He seems like a pretty physical lad. Uh, you know, he did, he did well to win that penalty for the fourth goal. Um, and he, look, he looked dangerous going forward. But again, the one issue you do have is when you come on at 3-0 when the game's that comfortable, it's, that's not really necessarily the test of a player's metal and the test of a player's ability to really um, take on some of the top, def- top defenders at, at a stage in a game where you really, really need a goal. That's um, a so as a fan, it's, it's very difficult to, to assess him and, and judge him based purely on, on these types of performances. Unfortunately, that, most of that's got to be done internally. From the noises we hear, it does sound like the club very much do want him to sign on. Obviously, he's, you know, he's a smart boy and he, he's fully aware that, of the challenges that um, are in place in order for him to actually get a starting berth and starting spot in this team. So... It's it, it's going to be an interesting six months because it you know it, it's clearly shaping up to be a team that you know in in theory he'd probably want to be a part of given the way in which or the kind of form we're hitting but yeah unfortunately with that comes the difficulties of, of actually being able to play for it so um, and you know from a lot of the, the rumors going around it, it seems like pretty you know clubs such as Liverpool Dortmund and you know decent clubs seem to be after his signature so he, you know there's clearly something about the lad that hopefully. Um, he can push on, show some bright performances and be given enough confidence from, from the manager that he can actually um, play enough over the next couple of years that you want to sign a contract. Yeah, I, I think that's that's it, right? I mean, balancing playing time with playing time that he actually deserves, the level, the, the entire level of the squad is, is elevating. And when you have players like Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil, you know, that's the level you need to achieve. So building on what James said, Paul, just quickly over to you, uh, Chuba Akpom as good as Thierry Henry or better than Thierry Henry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so ignoring that, so I'm just Wikipediaing him now. 
because I wanted to mm-hmm. find out how young he was to join us. Uh, six years old, he joined Arsenal. So it's a great romance mm-hmm. story, and it's so hard for clubs to develop a striker. Um, I do think... Yeah, just the, ask Danny Welbeck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I do think he's the real deal, but, you know, strikers, as we all know, start to hit their real prime when they're 23, 24. It's just too early to say. I mean, he, he looks the business. Uh, we definitely need to Physically, hold on to he him. has the traits. He's big yeah. and he's he's quick. You know, I mean, you, once once you have that, you're two-thirds of the way there, you know? Yeah, he's six foot, so uh, mm-hmm. Wikipedia would never lie. So... And he, no. he's starting to he's look like a six foot, and he has the head of a spider. Yeah, <laughs> according to Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly. my uh, <laughs> my uh, my knock on him even six months ago was when people would say, "Oh, you know, Akpom should be on the bench," or when we were running a little thin. I'm like, "But he's too weedy. He's not. He's not ready for prime time yet." But he looked okay today. He looked he looked reasonably beefy running around there for a 19 year old. Maybe a uh, start for him against Middlesbrough to can you know, in the FA Cup to convince him to uh, sign yeah. a contract. Yeah. Um, all right, let, let's do this. Before we say goodbye, let's take a quick look ahead to uh, a mid-table clash next week. Um, uh, we we have, obviously, the North London Derby. Um, we go to the shithole, and we were unfortunate not to beat them earlier this season. Uh, the manager decided not to start Alexis Sanchez that day. He may not have Alexis Sanchez to choose from, unfortunately, uh, next weekend. If you want to read into his comments where he said that Sanchez was not close to being available today, not a great uh, early warning for what to expect. But the mighty Arsenal carry a three-match win streak onto the North London Derby, three-match uh, Premier League win streak into the North London Derby. Uh, Spurs, to be fair, uh, well, let's not be fair. They're absolute uh, rambling wreck of shit. But they are uh, they, they have won a couple of matches themselves. Um, they did just dispatch West Brom 3-0. So maybe getting them at a time when they're finding a little bit of consistency. Harry Kane playing relatively well for them, uh, despite being a huge Arsenal supporter. And uh, Eriksen winning games for them in the 89th minute. I think we have more than enough to get past them, to beat them. We probably should have the first time we faced them. There was no Alexis Sanchez that day, manager's decision. But uh, this time there may be no Alexis Sanchez, unfortunately, due to injury. We will see. But what I basically want to do is get your thoughts on the starting 11. James, anyone you would change from today? Let's assume Sanchez is fit. What changes would you make to the 11 for for the Derby? I bring in Sanchez for Theo. Um, with you on the bench, and every, everyone else would remain the same. Okay, no thoughts of Rasicki for Ramsey or anything like that. No, I definitely keep Ramsey, especially in a game like that, going away to White Hart Lane. Um, is there any argument? And and this is the ultimate devil's advocate. So before people start screaming at me, is there any argument that maybe we do play more fluid football without Alexis, um, and that if he weren't there, it might suit us, especially maybe counterattacking at White Hart Lane, or is that just the ultimate devil's advocate position? Yes, it is the ultimate devil's advocate, thus the answer being no. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Um, James, real, uh, actually, Paul, real quick to you, and then I have one last question for you guys. But, um, Paul, would you make any different changes? Alexis for Theo seems like a pretty natural one. Anything you'd do differently? Uh, Theo does like to score against the, uh, the, uh, uh, the scum. I would be slow not to play Theo against... Uh, Spurs, especially with the four-one-four-one that we've we've benchmarked 
this weekend and is going so fluidly. I would, Who gives way then? Yeah, that's the tough one. You know, if if Sanchez is a little bit coming back from an injury, I might be tempted to start Ozil and leave Sanchez on the bench or oh. whatever. Uh, I know, well, I know. Uh, let me let me say one but, thing. But who uh, you drop? Do you, do, you, do you? I mean, to have Ozil and Sanchez as your. It's two... obvious who you drop, guys. Come on, it's Giroud. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, listen, the thing with Theo is his finish today was excellent on the counter attack. But aside from that, throughout the game, he was actually one of the most frustrating players to watch. He wasn't particularly efficient with the ball. There were plenty of counterattacks, especially in the first half, where you thought we had a great opportunity to really score a second, where he gave the ball away. He had options to his left, options to his right, and he couldn't really quite make up his mind. We talk a lot about... I mean, first of all, let's not also forget that Sanchez has not only been Arsenal's best player without any shadow of a doubt, but perhaps the best player in the Premier League. So he he has a very very different type of threat to Theo in that he can get in behind, but he's... He's so gr- good with the ball at his feet. His ability to score goals from outside the box, to really, you know, turn on a defender, beat a man, create chances for himself. This th- this is still a Theo that that's looking to get back into form. He scored a goal at a time where the game had become comfortable. Prior to that, there was actually there was a you know as is often typical with Theo, there were a lot of moments in the crowd, a lot of um, frustrations, especially the man set to my left. I was off. I often found myself having to defend Theo as as, as such. Mm-hmm. But I don't think this this is a game away to Spurs where it's it's going to be a an edgy fixture. You you imagine it's going to be a, a tightly contested match. I think he's a player that can be extremely effective coming off the bench, especially if we need a goal um, or playing at um, Spurs on the counter attack. You, you, Paul. I know you mentioned that you know perhaps if Alexis is coming back from an injury, this is only one game that's missed. Like, I, I, if he is fully fit and back after um, for the next game, I really can't see that being an issue, especially not for a player like Alexis. And Alexis, come what may, has to honestly be the first name on that team sheet. Jesus, what yeah. a hatchet job. um yeah i don't disagree i mean look i i think theo giving way for alexis i think you could make an argument um some some argument for Uh, for elliot let me remind you you asked me to make an argument so there you go there no that's fair And, and look i i um i think it's interesting because i also think what you know what now for Oxlade Chamberlain and Danny Welbeck. I mean, they'll both be coming back from injury, so I think it's easy that they they aren't picked. But the the path for them to first team football is getting murkier um, after being first team regulars for so long. But look, we've wanted depth, we've wanted competition for player places, and the one thing that should happen uh, with competition for places is that the the best will be brought out of every player, and whoever plays should be at the top of their game because they'll be fighting to keep their place until Jack Wilshire gets back, is handed his starting role, and destroys everything. Um, that's a joke. That's what we call sarcasm. Everybody calm down, deep breath. So we better leave it there. It was a glorious day for the Arsenal 5-0, proving that we are not a one-man team. All the goals scored by different players. Um, a first club goal in the league for Hector Bellerin, which was great. Um, and, and just another performance that shows that maybe corners are being turned, uh, directions are changing, things are getting better. Um, as always, we appreciate you listening, Mom. And uh, that'll do it. Next time we talk to you, we'll be after a victory in the North London Derby uh, at White Hart Lane, which would be fantastic. By the way, 11 points off the top, title race back on. 
So we're going to thank the two uh, erudite and sophisticated gentlemen who joined me to make some sense of this whole rambling mess. The first being James. You can find him on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Recommend you follow him. Uh, James, as always, pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure. Thank you, Elliot. And just as a quick side note to listeners, do not fear. Elliot's Criticism Corner will be returning next week. Yeah, we 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 de- we debated having it. I kind of sprinkled it in by joking around about Giroud today, but we'll have. Hopefully, there won't be one next weekend. Hopefully, there'll be nothing but positives, and we can get back to it uh, another time. And now, um, now that you've turned from Jack's biggest fan to uh, um, ardent <laughs> non-supporter, I'm the I'm the I'm sure black, the back. black scarf Jack brigade now. Um, <laughs> what so, happens? Yeah. Your undying love for for Jack. Look, uh, you know the, you know what they say about a woman scorned? Well, an Elliot scorned, it's like even worse. It's, <laughs> it's the worst possible scorning you can have. Um, so as always, James, it was a pleasure. And um, first of all, I have to apologize for uh, you being stuck with me as host again, but I want to congratulate Paul on an exceptional job hosting uh, in my absence. Thank him for allowing me to have my humble position back. And as always, recommend you follow him on Twitter at Posin in my pants. Uh, Paul, as always, pleasure to speak to you. Glad to give you back the job. One, la- one last line. Uh, today there was a Tonkin, there was a gulf, and we showed resolution. It was the gulf of Tonkin resolution. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's Sorry. fantastic. Gotta go. Um, Gotta go, everybody. I am Elliot Smith. You can follow, unfollow, or block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Um, certainly... Uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, the big game was was won by Arsenal, and that's always great to see. We wish you a uh, happy week. We will talk to you next week after the North London Derby. Take care. Cheers. Ooh.